Welcome in. It is the BCJ Podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. It is the end of signing day. It was a wildly successful signing day for Luke Fickle and his Cincinnati Bearcats. So we have plenty to talk about on that front. We'll talk Luke Fickle. I'm sure everybody wants to hear what we have to say about that topic. And then we'll talk to Bearcats basketball team as they head to the roundhouse tomorrow night to take on the Wichita State Shockers. And uh, we were going to record this on Tuesday night. I'm glad we waited, Dave. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think a little bit more to talk about tonight than we had last night. Last night would have been speculation. Tonight we've got a lot to talk about. But before we talk, what you should do so rearrange your schedule and meet us at the Holy Grail. Well, meet me at the Holy Grail Thursday night for our third watch party at the Holy Grail as the Bearcats take on Wichita State. They will have specials on buckets of beer. I will be there. I think Mo said he might stop by, is planning to stop by for this one. And, uh... You never know. You never know what, what information you're going to learn when you stop at a Holy Grail watch party and chat me up. That's usually the best way to get stuff out of me, right, Dave? Catch me in person? For sure. For sure. Especially when there's adult beverages being served. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, make your plans now probably listening to this either Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon at work, killing an hour of time at work, listening to the podcast, make your plans, head to the Holy Grail, watch the game with us, hopefully a successful road trip, a third straight successful road trip to Wichita as the Bearcats take on the Shockers. All right, Dave, before we get started, I've got a special treat for our listeners today. I was able to get in touch with both Mike Denbrock and Marcus Freeman to get their thoughts on the four signings that were added. Obviously, because Diere McDonald did not sign, I could not get comments on him. But guess what? Luckily, Dave and I can talk about him after the fact. But here we go. I'm going to play these. I'm going to drop these in right here. Here is my chat with both Mike Denbrock and Marcus Freeman as they give their thoughts on the four guys that were added here on the second signing day in 2020. And now we are joined by none other than the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats, Mike Denbrock. Coach Denbrock, I, I take it you got a smile on your face today. Well, there's lots of reasons to smile. Uh, we got some uh, unbelievable uh, members joining our our fraternity here at the University of Cincinnati. It's a great day for the Bearcat Nation, and uh, we couldn't be more excited. Let's start with the guy that that, that faxed his uh, that faxed like like that really still happens. That sent in <laughs> his letter of intent first. What do they text those now? Don't they? They take a picture and text them. They do. Yes. We finally caught up with uh, technology. 
Um, well, kind of, sometimes. Kinda, I yeah, mean, it, it, you still miss the sound of the fax machine in the background, <laughs> the whistle coming through and, and the bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff, and the anticipation of the uh, printer printing it out correctly <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of gone by the wayside, that's true. So we're we're happy technology has certainly caught up. Uh, the good old days, right, when you had 15 guys in a room surrounding a fax machine? And everybody standing up and cheering, waiting for a piece of paper to come through the machine. Yeah, those, those, those days, I miss those days. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with Chris Scott. Uh, and it, Well, first off, it, you've talked about wanting to, uh, to restructure the wide receiver room. And with the three signings today, you, you have to feel pretty good that you guys were able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is, is creating within our position rooms healthy competition. And, and what we've tried to address here in the late going of this recruiting class in particular was the wide receiver room and an, an opportunity because there was some really, really quality players out there that I think fit not only our program but fit what we – we ideally want to become offensively. Uh, we had a chance to kind of really attack that here in the last month and a half in, in really throughout the process. And, and here we are, uh, you know, with uh, now a wide receiver room that's got uh, from top to bottom, uh, including the guys that are here that are very capable players themselves, uh, some really good competition amongst that unit and uh, an opportunity for all of them to get better and benefit from it. Chris Scott was a guy you you the staff had been on for a very long time. Uh, he officially visited in the summer. Recruitment kind of uh, drew out into a longer process and rolled over into the second signing period. Tell me about Chris Scott and, and rekindling that fire uh, with him through this uh, January uh, and into February and, and getting his name on the dotted line. Yeah, I mean, I think Chris brings the type of length and athleticism that we value at the wide receiver position. I mean, he can make plays with the ball in his hands. He can uh, go vertically and and, uh, and beat people. He can out-jump people with his athleticism. And I think that was really kind of driven home to us uh, maybe later in the process than some when we got a chance to get up and watch him play basketball and see how competitive and athletic he was in that arena. Uh, and then you couple that with the great year he had uh, as a senior and, and you put those two things together and you got yourself a quality football player that I think fits very well into our football program. You talk about the, the length and athleticism, uh, six foot two, um, not necessarily what you would consider a burner, but I, I think we've almost gotten to the point now, coach, where people look at four, six and they think that's slow and legit four, six speed is, is, about as good as you're going to find yeah i mean and, and you see with chris in particular i mean you, you put his tape on and he's playing against some of the top competition in the state of ohio and, and we all know that's really good football and and he's dominating he's making people miss he's he's uh, outrunning people the, down the sidelines and in uh, listen if you you know there's a lot of guys who may time at four four that play at four six there's a lot of guys that are timed at four, six that play at that level. And, uh, he, he's one of those type of guys that, uh, he may not flash you with four, four numbers as far as when you're timing somebody, but he plays the game fast. And that's really more important in the long run. Let's move on to a, uh, another four-star commitment, three, four stars in this class. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about Jaden Thompson, 
who was committed to Illinois, longtime commitment to Illinois back in April, uh, but he didn't sign in the first signing period. That opened the door a little bit. Uh, the connections that you and, and Gino Gadulli had in Chicago allowed you to sneak that door, just a, a crack open. Take me through this process, and how did Jaden Thompson become a Bearcat, and, and what does he bring to the table? Yeah, Jaden was a guy that we really tracked, uh, you know, from really a couple summers ago when he showed up at summer camp down here, and, and we were like, hey, who's that guy? We better <laughs> we better find out really fast. And, uh, you know, we, we had a relationship with him, both both uh, Coach Gadouli and myself, and, and an opportunity, I think, to – to keep the lines of communication open while he was kind of going through his process. And, uh, he committed to, to Illinois, but you know, the lines of communication and, and the way he communicated with us, uh, gave us at least a little hope, uh, along the way that maybe as time went along. And if we continued to press the issue and we continued to show our interest that possibly, uh, you know, there was something that could come of it. And, and that's exactly what ended up happening. I mean, they, they ended up not uh, not uh, offering to sign him in the early signing period, which uh, you know can can open the door a little bit farther. And, and I think once we we saw that there was there was still an opportunity there, uh, we went in full fledged. And, and Mike Brown as well did a great job of of you know opening the lines of communication with him, as long as along with myself and Coach Gadouli. And and I think you know, the, the attention that we showed him and the, and the need that he saw that, that we had for someone with his particular skill set uh, helped put it over the top. And I think it just speaks to, you know, this staff in particular, you know, we're, we're not afraid to go against anybody in recruiting. And, and as long as the, the recruits are willing to listen, we're willing to talk and, and communicate our message and, and let them know what the University of Cincinnati football program is all about. And uh, he was a guy that it really, over time, I think, hit home with and, and ended up making the best decision of his life to be with us here and be a Bearcat. Tell me about his game. What, what does he bring to the table? 6'3", another guy long, athletic, uh, and, and he seems like he's one of those guys that really high points it well and knows how to make plays on the football. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got every tool that you look for. You know, he's got the length, the size. He's got some dart to him. He can – he can uh, change speeds and burst and, and, and do the types of things. He's a really good route runner. I think he's got a, a good background in understanding football, uh, which gives him a, a leg up on hopefully uh, being in a position to come in here and contribute. And, and somebody that I think, uh, you know, can, can make big plays down the field as well as, as being kind of that intermediate threat that you love. And finally, uh, you dip down into Florida. And you grab high three-star Marquez Bell, uh, six-foot range, a guy that uh, you can elaborate inside-outside potential. He can he can do either, uh, and some of that Florida speed uh, that that you guys like every now and again. Yeah, we love his versatility. I mean, he 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 can really literally line up at, at any of the three wide receiver positions and be effective, uh, break people down in space, uh, outrun them uh, over the top for the home run ball. Uh, you know, just outstanding development and skills, uh, you know, and, and really got to give a lot of credit to, to Gino Gadouli again and, and, and also to Mike Brown on uh, keeping in touch with him and, and staying with him throughout his process. He was a, an early commit to another program in our league and, uh, 
you know, when they went through a coaching change with somebody that we kind of pounced on and, and I had identified early in the process as somebody that we thought could be a difference maker in what we're doing. And uh, again, you know, I think just staying with it and, uh, and having a team approach to trying to get these guys involved in who we are and what we are uh, paid dividends in the end. When you look at the class, I mean, it was it was clear coming out of the early signing period that wide receiver was going to be a focus. At that time, the thought was maybe one, maybe two more guys. Uh, and instead, you had three guys, and it's the number three, what, three, seven, and eight guy, number three, number seven, number eight ranked prospect in your class. You've got to overall look around and go, man, we we didn't just fill spots. We really got some quality and improved our wide receiver room. Well, I think that's always in the in the you know with the early signing period the way it is now. I think you always look at it and reassess after the first signing period and say, okay, you know, where where do we spend our resources headed down the stretch here to really make our football team better? And we had an opportunity to do that in the wide receiver room in particular with, with a number of really quality players out there. And, uh, you know, I think the staff did a great job of taking advantage of that and uh, seeing the need. I think we all identified it. I think we all understand it. Uh, and giving us an opportunity to improve that room uh, and the competition in that room in particular, um, you pair these guys with, you know, the signing class that we, we had signed early and, and you pair these guys into that mix uh, and you add those to the guys that are already in that room. And I think you've got the makings of, of what can be uh, a wide receiver room to compete, that can compete uh, on the level that we need those guys to. One more guy to ask you about, since we haven't spoken about him on the record yet, Alabama transfer Jerome Ford, who is now on campus and, and working out with the team. I've heard very good things already uh, of him in the weight room. Unfortunately, Mike Warren is moving on. Um, but within a couple days, you guys were able to, to, to bounce back pretty nice. Uh, give me your take on Jerome Ford. Yeah, Jerome is, is what – uh, a lot of us uh, in the coaching profession would refer to as very twitchy. Um, <laughs> he, he's an incredible athletic kid. I mean, I, I would would put him in a in a James Wiggins category. I mean, as far as athleticism and his ability to burst and change direction and 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 some of the explosiveness that he brings to the table. Uh, and you, you add, you know, you're able to uh, you know lose. You know, we lose Mike Warren who. I, I think we all understand was such an important piece of the puzzle for, for what we've become uh, as a football program. But uh, you get a chance to kind of soften the blow a little bit with someone who's, who's got Jerome's uh, abilities and, and his, his, uh, you know, his pedigree for being able to uh, make big plays and, and take the ball the distance and also show a, a, you know, an aptitude to kind of inside run the ball too with some toughness. And I think you've got a nice balance there in the in the running back room again, uh, even with the loss of one of the best players that's played here in a long time. Thank you, Coach. I will let you go. I know it's been a uh, a very quiet day around the office the last twenty four hours or so, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing going on whatsoever around here, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're pretty much bored to tears around here, and we're, we're just you know kind of hanging out and drinking coffee. <laughs> actually, actually, brother, we're. We're already on to the, you know, we're 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 getting as many guys in, in next year's recruiting class as we can on the phone, and 
in uh, extending offers, and uh, it's it's rolling right over into uh, what we're hoping is going to be uh, an even better 2021 uh, signing class. Yeah, you can't talk names, but I did see a very uh, interesting local offer just went out as well. You're, you're, you're yeah, always on. you know we we are uh, in the state of Cincinnati, my friend. Uh, <laughs> deep into it as we always are. All right, thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. Appreciate it, Chad. Thanks. All right, that's Mike Denbrock joining us to talk about the commitments today and uh, the addition of Jerome Ford. Thanks, Mike. And now joined by defensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati, Marcus Freeman. And uh, you get to go second today. You usually go first because you guys are heavy on defensive commits uh, in the early signing period. Second signing period, you get to go second. The offense has to catch up in the second signing period. We talked to Coach Denbrock. Absolutely. We talked to Coach Denbrock about his 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 new toys that he gets to play with. Uh, you get a new toy as well in the form of Dominique Perry, defensive lineman, um, a little underrated, I think, and and we're working on that. But he reminds me when you watch him a lot of the guys uh, the guys that you have now in, in Ponder and Brooks and Taylor uh, on the inside. He looks like one of those guys with the quickness the agility and, and the, the, the athleticism to make plays from a defensive tackle position. Absolutely. We looked at the same thing, and we saw the same thing. You know, I think he's a little bit under-recruited, being that he transferred from uh, Damasa, which is obviously a powerhouse out there in Baltimore, to Northwest. And, and you know, with that came some transcript issues, and, and we dove into it because, obviously, um, we don't look at who's offered kids, but sometimes you want to know. You know, you want to know, hey, what's going on? Why isn't he as highly recruited? Um, and get the back the, the, the story behind it. And, uh, you know, he's a kid that, that is extremely talented. He's athletic. You watch his film. He plays linebacker. He plays DN. He plays D-tackle. Um, and that's what you're looking for, a versatile guy that's big. He, he Just like you said, he, his body size reminds you of some of the guys we have that have been very productive for us. And, and I think he's going to fit um, extremely well into our scheme. Um, he's a great young man. Uh, got a chance to meet his mother. Um, he comes from a great family, and he's very, very driven. And those are the type of things you look for when you start investigating, you know, especially in this late recruiting cycle, you know, the second recruiting cycle. Um, you're, you're catching up on time. They usually spent that whole first recruiting cycle, the whole spring of developing a relationship. So, you know, he came on, you know, came really, you know, across our table. You're right uh, as we got through the end of the season. And, uh, you know, we were able to watch multiple games. We were able to talk to multiple people. And, you know, he fits us. Dominic Perry fits what we're looking to do in our defense. And uh, I'm extremely excited to have him here. How does he complement another guy that you've got in this signing class and Justin Watley? Because those two guys probably going to be playing alongside each other or, or near each other uh, in the future. And, and it seems like they're they're at least – I don't want to say similar, but they've got some similar traits at least. Yeah, I think the bodies look similar in the, the film. When you watch film, there's guys that play multiple positions, man. And I think you see that in all positions now. Is, hey, not very often do you recruit a linebacker that just plays linebacker. You know, that's starting to change. Not very often do you just recruit a corner and he just plays corner or safety to just play safety. You know, you have to be able to identify and project. And I think that's what we were able to do with him and Justin and watching those guys play at multiple different, uh, you know, positions. And the thing I love about both of those guys is, is when we look for D-linemen, the number one thing we're looking for play hard guys you know when the, when you push play the guy playing hard and you'll look at one of the first it might be his first clip on his highlight tip i watch him chase a guy down from 60 yards and, and it's like okay 
All I needed to see was that. And I was watching a little bit of game film to make sure we're not being teased. But if this dude's going to run six yards down the field and tackle somebody, okay, he's what we're looking for uh, on our defense and our D-line. And overall, you've, you've got to be extremely pleased with what you were able to do in this 2020 class. Now the number one class in the history of the University of Cincinnati, uh, Jaheim Thomas and Sammy Anderson, Justin Wadley, like we mentioned. Um, you bring in uh, David Jones and Sterling Miles and, and Deshaun Pace and Todd Bumpus and the list goes, goes on and on. You've got to be thrilled when you're looking at this group thinking, I got, I got a lot of new toys to play with uh, that'll, be, that'll be getting oh. here in the summer. Absolutely, man. We we can't be more excited for this group of guys that we're adding to this, uh, you know, this defense. And the best part about it, a lot of them are close, and, and they can come here. You know, Sterling Miles is already here, but you know, you talk about Jaheim and Deshaun and David, and they're already coming over and training. And and those guys are guys that are going to have a head start. You know, the biggest thing is when you recruit these local kids, if they're not going to graduate early you can have a, a head start because you can come here every morning before our guys get here, you can be trained and you can and start to develop yourself. So when you get here in June for good, you've already put six months of, of working out and, and eating and, and putting your body through the rigorous training that we do so that you're ready. You're, you're that much farther ahead. So, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of guys coming back on our defense, obviously nine of 11 guys coming back and um, we're adding some, some guys that I think are going to help us immediately or help us in the future. And, uh, I tell you what, it's exciting to be the defense coordinator of these, this group of, of defensive players. Finally, when you took this job, there had to have been in your mind the the stigma of recruiting to the group of five, and how difficult it was going to be. Ultimately, though, have you exceeded those expectations, or do you guys think, hey, we're we're not done yet? Like top forty is great, but we've got we've got different other places to go climbing this mountain. I think when you recruit guys, here's what you tell them. You know, your college experience is going to be based off a couple of things, but I think one is winning. You know, if you're, you go to a place and you have the opportunity to win every game you play, uh, and that's going to make your college experience that much better. You know, and I think the group of guys we're, we're recruiting are competitors. They want to be a part of a winning culture and a winning program, and I think they see that they can be a part of that and win championships here at Cincinnati. You know, the other thing we're selling is, listen, you're going to go against dudes here that – are going to be better than a lot of schools that might be considered bigger schools. Every day in practice, you're going to be going against uh, Kobe Bryant and, uh, you know, Ahmad Gardner and, and you know, the, the defensive line that we have that are going to be NFL players. And so that develops you. That makes you better. You know, we're not going to promise these kids you're going to walk in here and start. We're going to promise you that every day in order to play, you're going to have to compete. And ultimately over your course of your three, four, five years here, you're going to get that much better and, and I think these kids are starting to realize that we can play for championships, we can be developed for the NFL, and we can get an unbelievable education while we're here. All right. Thank you, Coach. Much appreciated, and congratulations on a, another successful recruiting class in the books for the Cincinnati Bearcats. All right, Chad. Thank you, man. All right, Dave. Thanks to both of those guys for taking some uh, some time out of their busy schedule today. And they were busy today. They they didn't stop with just uh, with just getting text messages of uh, of letters of intent. Some offers flying out today. The most notable one probably to uh, David Larkins, a local tight end from Elder, and uh, great hearing from Denbrock reminiscing on uh, the days gone by of fifteen people standing around a fax machine. Mm. 
Yes, I, I, up Those until were the days. a few years ago, recruiting and my former company were the only ones that still used fax machines on a daily basis. <clears throat> it was a great, great point by him, too. Like now, you know, you get a text, you see who sent you the text. As the as the fax was printing out, you had no idea who that fax was coming from. So they didn't know, and then somebody would pick it up off the fax machine, read it out, and everyone coaches would all cheer. Uh, for <clears throat> for several years, UC put that on video, and they'd run a, a video special about uh, how how signing day was developing. But uh, much more efficient these days. So, Dave, this class came in, what, 51? Well, no, it was, it was in the mid-50s before uh, they started landing commitments. Today? No, well, just going into the, the, no. the, the period. 50, 52. Before Chris Scott, they were 52? Yeah. Okay. So, 52, and then picked up a commitment from Dominique Perry who you heard Marcus Freeman rave about. Uh, they think he is going to very much be in the mold of Curtis Brooks and, and Elijah Ponder and Jabari Taylor. Uh, give them a, an athletic, big, strong guy uh, on the inside or they can play that that outside in the three three five look uh, if they go back to that at times. Um, and then Chris Scott, who felt like, man, that's a really good get for that wide receiver room. Still is a really good get for that wide receiver room. And then yesterday, Tuesday, you get the word that Jaden Thompson had committed. Today, you get a commitment from Marquez Bell. And um, all of a sudden, Dave, that wide receiver room has gotten quite the overhaul from uh, the end of the season to now. Right. I don't want to say we told you, but we told you that this is going to happen. And... It was funny, I had a, a quick interaction with someone on Twitter and kind of said that same thing, and he was like, oh, I believe you, I've, and I've been trying to tell the strangers in my mentions the same thing. <laughs> but we, we, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're open but guarded with our information, and if we hint that something is probably going to happen – several weeks in a row you can pretty much take it to the bank that it's probably going to happen unless something you know unexpected takes place and we'd been saying that the goal was to revamp the wide receiver room and that's exactly what happened i mean you add is it five guys total yes you you have a little bit of everything, and I think you're well on your way to hopefully seeing a different dynamic in the passing game, which is exactly what Coach Denbrock talked about in his – probably I have not heard yet, but I'm assuming his comments with you yes. today. And definitely in his comments with uh, Justin Williams of The Athletic. I mean – you know, he specifically said, we can't throw for 182 yards a game. We have to be up around 250. How do you do that? And You get better wide receivers. Right. It's a, it's a combination of everything. Yeah. But you can't 
look at, you know, and we we don't say this to disparage anyone. The proof is in the result the last two years in the passing game. Like, the guys just weren't getting it done. And if you want to take an almost 70-yard jump in passing yards per game while still running the ball for over 200 yards a game, you need better wide receivers. You need better offensive line play. You need better quarterback play. That's a given. But you need better wide receivers. And we have no idea how these guys are going to do, but they're at least making that effort to say, this is the issue. How do we address it? These are the guys we feel like we can can address it with. And then locking them in and getting them signed. So, you know, you have to give an A-plus on all the steps so far. The next step is obviously the development and implementation of those new players. But if your number one goal leaving the 2019 season was get better at wide receiver, they've done exactly that to the best of their ability to this point so far. Yeah, I mean, you take what was already, you know, one of the top recruiting classes in program history – and you add to that the number three recruit in the class, the number six recruit in the class, and the number seven recruit in the class. I got that wrong when I talked to Denbrock, actually. I said number seven and number eight, but number six and number seven. And that's that's not just adding guys to add guys, Dave. That's knocking it out of the damn park. Sorry, Dan. Well, yeah, because I mean, we know and our, our diehard recruiting fans know they could have filled this 20, 20, 21, 22 man class months ago if they want, if, you know, if they wanted to, like they could have had five new wide receivers in October. Yeah. Um, but this is where you see, I mean, for a program like you see, this is where you see the benefit of the early signing period and the way that they, basically get everything locked up before the season starts for the most part. You know, there's always going to be a couple guys that visit and commit during the season or take that visit the first couple weeks of December and commit. But for the, what, 80, 90% of the class used the last three years has been done and they've kept spots open last year. It was for transfers this year, it's for high school players, and you can can then go, okay, now we no, we need two wide receivers or whatever the number is. Let's comb everything and find out who are the absolute best guys that we think we can get, and let's go 100 miles an hour on those guys. And that's exactly what they did. And they got three guys in the late signing period that – they wouldn't have got in the early period either because they would have taken maybe a lesser wide receiver or they would have had their spots full. And now they're like, man, we look at these guys that are available to us. And so, you know, it's a formula that has proven and I can't imagine it's going to change. It might change transfer versus high school, but you know, the keeping the handful of spots, especially when you can come off of a season like they did right? and find a kid like Jaden Thompson who, you know, I, we joke about however other schools want to spin things. But there, something was going on 
for him well, I, to I, I, at, I, at least give an initial interest, and that 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 allowed them to, as I said a couple of days ago, to use that and then kick the door in. Well, I, I do. Be- I think there is some validity that and there's a possibility that that Illinois wasn't able to get him through their admission standards. But great. That that's that, what, that's what you're very, if you're Cincinnati, that's what you're supposed to do with the second signing period is find out. Sure. Guess what? Illinois can't get this kid in. We can. Good on us. Not your problem. Right. Um and I think it, that's that was what my point was is I don't pretend to know the difference in admission standards from one school to the next. I was surprised though that from all indications we felt he would have no real trouble well, getting into UC. Look at it like this, But that Dave. he was a total, like, no-go for them. I'm like, he's the number five player in your state. You stink. You're not going to fight for the kids? You're not going to help him out? Or you're not going to fight your admissions a little bit and be like, can you help us out here? Or, like, what can we do? Like, it just seemed like, you know – from their standpoint, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more effort well, on their part. And I'll say I'm not an expert on Illinois University of Illinois recruiting, but this sounds like something that they've had come up many times in the past. And, I mean, oh well, that's your problem. And what I will say is we know if they don't feel like they're going to be able to get somebody in, they don't have them sign. We saw it last year with, with Marcelo Mendiola and Savion Herring. Mendiola ended up getting in. Herring didn't. But Mendiola didn't sign last year for that exact reason. Diari McDonald right. this year is not signing yet because they want to monitor where he is at academically. Now, he can sign all the way from now until April 1st, I believe it is. So there's a chance at some point that if if they feel like he is where he needs to be, um, they obviously feel pretty good about it, or they wouldn't have had him commit today. But they obviously know... And, and are aware of this situation where if you sign a kid and they don't qualify, there's a penalty. And they're not going to take that risk. So they don't feel like there's an issue with with uh, Jaden Thompson. So, I mean, it, that's if, it's, if, if Illinois couldn't get him in, oh well. But I will say, you got to tip your hat to Gino Gadulli and Mike Denbrock here. Because, and... and getting involved in the situation after, you know, things heated up uh, in in Mike Brown and, and Luke Fickle, obviously. But they lo- went through their resources. They saw, hey, this kid. And, and for those that don't know, he plays for the Midwest Boom 7-on-7 seven seven team, which has produced Ben Bryant and Jay Sean Jackson. So they had a relationship there. They've shown that they, I mean, they kick Illinois' ass in recruiting Illinois. <laughs> um and they went back. Well, they that saw- was a stun- That was a total stunner to me that Illinois did not get a single commit in the top 40 of their own state. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah, like, how happened. much we crushed? It happened here for years and how years much- and years. I don't know if it even was that bad, though. Yeah. I mean, we, we got, like, one kid. I mean, the top 40. I'm not even talking Cincinnati. Like, they didn't, like, get one kid? <laughs> but 
I mean, hats off to them for for recognizing the situation, going back and saying, hey, for whatever reason, Illinois didn't have this kid signed. That cracks the door open. And they pushed and they pushed. And and when did I – I think I told you first of Jaden Thompson as a possibility, what, two and a half, three weeks ago? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we kind of found out that obviously he didn't sign, which is yeah. the first – not, I wouldn't say red flag, but like if the second best slash first best, I don't know the exact number he was, but player in a class doesn't sign, um, it's worth trying to find out why. Typically it's because of grades, but right. you know, you, you go, then you start digging. Okay. We need wide receivers. The number we recruit Illinois, we recruit Naperville the number one wide receiver in the state, number five player in the state hasn't signed. Let's go find out why. So they, 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 and it was a, it was a slow burn process. I can tell you that it started phone communication and then a, a, a visit from Denbrock and Gino. And then, Hey, what do you think about coming down for an official visit? That was kind of up in the air all the way up until probably two days before. Um, and then we were given the green light. When he's on campus, we could go ahead and put it on the message board. Uh, and, and step by step, they very meticulously, very deliberately went through this process. And the end result is you get a four-star wide receiver at, at you know a, a guy at your position of, of great need. And you hope a guy, I don't know, you know, it's always difficult to determine who's going to be ready year one, who's not. We'll, we'll have a better feel for that when they make it to campus in June and start working out. But ultimately, just a home run on Jaden Thompson, a home run on Marquez Bell, a home run on Chris Scott. And I thought it was interesting Denbrock talked about because with Chris Scott, it, and 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 this happens every cycle. I mean, he visited in the summer, and his intention was to wait. And UC started moving on, looking at other options. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, of rush from Chris Scott to make a commitment. And then when he got through the the initial signing day and hadn't signed anywhere, I know they as a staff on the the first day of the evaluation period, as a staff they went up and watched a basketball game of his and Denbrock said <clears throat> they loved the way he competed. They, they liked his athleticism. They liked how hard he played. They liked how competitive he was. And that, I think that alone rejuvenated, Hey, this is a kid. If we can get him, let's go out all out on this. They go all out. They secure the commitment. They, they do the same thing with Marquez bell. I know fickle was down there. Friday, I think, was the last time Fickle went and saw Marquez Bell just to make sure. And he 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 committed while he was here. That's why the Virginia, he was supposed to visit Virginia the last weekend. He committed while he was here. That's why I laugh about the uh, the South Florida, you know. But, they, but South Florida pulled his offer, Chad. South Florida pulled his offer last night. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 
Well, great, because he'd been committed here two, for two weeks, so who right. gives a crap? <laughs> um, there's two reasons. There's two reasons they say we pulled the offer. One, just a straight up safe face, and two, to not. Mm, I don't know. Just there are times <laughs> where, where where something happens and an offer gets pulled. This was not something happened at the last minute. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't do something right. at the last minute. Because South Florida came in at a blistering 99th in class rankings. Right. And uh, you're telling me that Jeff Scott wouldn't have taken that kid? Get out of here. Um. Sorry, I'm Michigan State people on Twitter or somehow found their way into my mentions. Uh, oh, lucky you. Aghast over the fact that they, <laughs> they just can't believe that Luke Fickle doesn't have an agent. Um, any thoughts on... But he does. Didn't they post, didn't they post that he, yeah, they're, they, they're, 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 they're already con- talking to his agent? Yeah, they're convinced he does, even though there are people telling him that he doesn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, any thoughts on uh, Dominique Perry? You've seen his film. Any any personal opinions on that? Uh, I mean, we talked about it. I think a little bit. I mean, I I can I see what Coach Freeman kind of sees. Like, it's just going to be a matter of like where he fits in once he gets here and gets into the strength program. Um, I mean, I see things that could be D tackle. I see things that could be strong side end. It's just how they want to use them. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're looking at – you've got a great group inside right now, but you are going to suffer some some attrition via graduation at the end of this year. So you've got to start looking forward. And I think if you're happy with the way that your defensive line has worked of late, you go out and you start to you do your best – to find guys that are similar to the guys that you've had, similar to the, the, the process that's worked. And I think Perry fits exactly into that, that mold, if you will. Um, and I think he couples perfectly with, with Justin Wadley. Cause I think right. they're, they're both athletic. They're both, you know, they, they both got good footwork, good hands. They've got that sudden quickness that, that's what's made you see so tough on the interior over the last three, four years with Copeland, with Broughton, now with, you know, Ponder and, and Brooks and Brown. And the Brown's a little bit more of a, you know, bigger guy. But Taylor, um, I think both of those guys fit into that that mold. And I think you're getting another one in the 2021 class in Corleone. So, right, for sure. That, you know, that's, it's, it tops off what has been amazing about this staff for the longest time because inside is where recruiting has always been a struggle here. Finding guys and and being able to find guys that physically you're not going to have to take two to three years. You know, at the most, everybody on the offensive and defensive lines are going to take a year. 
Oh, at least. But but and now that's the, usually the, the bare minimum. Yeah, but I'm saying now you're finding you're bringing in guys that are six two six three already two seventy two eighty in that range that that have the athleticism that you know if things work as as planned you're only gonna, it's going to take one year maybe two years to get those guys up to speed instead of three to four years and and, and their ability so far to do that I think Eric Phillips is is going to be very good he was finding his way into the rotation throughout bowl practices and played in the bowl game I think you're going to see him inside some. Uh, as we get into the 2020 season, now you add these two guys to the room. Like I said, you got Corleone coming in 21. Um, the interior of this defense is going to be strong for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, you know, I definitely agree there. I also – I kind of want to turn back to, if we can real quick, before I got some, some numbers for our stat, stat geeks too. But I feel like from the receiver standpoint – Marquise Bell is probably the least talked about. We've talked about Chris Scott for months and months. So, you know, ever, and he's, since he's from Ohio, probably the most well-known of the, of the group. And then Jaden Thompson, highly touted guy, and, and kind of, you know, we had that moment um, yesterday. But Bell, interestingly enough, um, Columbia High in Lake City, Florida, they had a receiver last year signed with, with – Penn State. So, I mean, good quality players coming out of there. He's their all-time leading receiver in high in the high school's history. Almost 3,000 yards for the career, 33 touchdowns. And the coach has talked about that he sees him as, like, the most likely player that the school's ever had to go play in the NFL. So I don't I want I don't want him to kind of be, you know, shortchanged at all. And I don't think he has been, but we definitely know the least about him. And you know, to put up, a hundred what is it, a hundred and almost a hundred hundred forty eight catches in high school, it's pretty damn good. Twenty nine hundred sixty eight yards. I mean, you just don't see those kind of numbers because of you know, kids just don't play varsity that much to get to accumulate those kind of stats and you know he's another you know bigger kid with you know Thompson and Scott and him are both in that six six foot to six two range and then you have the the more slot guys in love and Tyler Scott so I mean like we said they're revamping the room and and you kind of got a little bit of of everything going on Absolutely. Um, and then D.R.A. McDonald, probably the, the, the guy people are least familiar with, but I know athletically they think he is just an absolute freak. And it was one of those situations where with the coaching change at Ole Miss and with some questions about how he was going to fit in academically, it's another one where they were able to, to look around and say, hey, let's examine this take a look at his transcripts and, and and build a path for him to where he, you know, has the, an opportunity to qualify, even, you know, even though he's not signing. If he didn't have an opportunity to qualify, they wouldn't have taken a chance on him at all. But if you add him into that secondary, man, I mean, again, you talk about embarrassment of riches. I don't even know really at this point where he would start when he got here between corner and safety. 
Yeah, I'm not sure either. All I know is that you don't commit to Ole Miss and have a boatload of SEC offers, like legit offers, because you've been committed to Ole Miss for a while, um, without being able to go. So, yeah, hopefully he can take care of what he needs to take care of, and, and we get to see that in action. All right. Anything else on signing day before we wrap up that portion? Yeah, I got a couple couple fun little nuggets here. I sent out the tweets and posted them on the board, so I won't go through the you know the the litany of schools that signed fewer four stars than UC, or how bad they you know dog walked the rest of the conference in recruiting rankings. But I will point out that someone that I followed for a long time, Bill Conley, uh, proprietor and inventor of the famed S&P Plus uh, rating system that is now with ESPN, posted some interesting recruiting metrics, one of which biggest improvement over 2019's multi-year recruiting ranking. So he takes, when he's doing his projections, his, some, his you know, awesome previews during the summer he'll look at i think it's the previous two years or or previous three years recruiting rankings and kind of factored that in as well number one on this list cincinnati bearcats plus 16.8 percent over 2019's multi-year ranking next fun stat from bill if i make sure i read this right best 2020 recruiting performance compared to conference percentile averages. So like how much better was this class versus all the other classes in your conference average together? Number one, Clemson, 33.1% over the ACC average. Number two, Texas, 31.6% over the big 12 average. At number three, Cincinnati, 30.9% over the AAC average. That's better than Ohio State, Oklahoma, Miami, Oregon, Michigan, Penn State. Better average over their conference versus those teams. So, like, and I think that's, you know, we, we, you know, say what we say about the conference, but the goal is still to win the conference. You can't get to the G5 and as much as we hate it in the current situation you can't get to the g5 the g5 game without winning the aac so yes i love it when the class is ranked higher than louisville or whoever and we can say it's the 40th ranked class in the nation but the the more important part is how much better it is than the rest of your conference because that's the teams you play that's who you're really competing against they're they're widening the gap in their own conference. And that's only going to pay dividends, assuming they, you know, have to stay in the conference for the foreseeable future. So, you know, when these teams in the conference jump up and maybe have a year or two and and year or two here, year or two there, and they can kind of continue this this trend, hopefully then it's only going to make things better. And these, these numbers, too, are a little – you dig a little bit deeper, 
like Tulane, for instance, probably best recruiting class they've ever had. East Carolina for a second-year coach coming off a not-great-year. Really good recruiting class when it comes by the numbers to get to a third, basically a 31% better than the average. I assume UConn's not included. They wouldn't. They're, no, they're not going to be in. They're gone. Um, I'm assuming Navy's not included in this because they recruit under different parameters. They have a JV team. They can take, you know, 35, 40 players, move guys up and down from the JV team throughout the season. So I'm, I'm assuming it's like the core nine teams. And to be 31%, that's not supposed to happen on the G5 level. Like you're not supposed to be recruiting that much better than the other teams in your conference because you're not supposed to be able to get that much better players because you're in the G5. Very true. Oh, I, I also wanted to add, wait, I, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention this. They just ho-hum picked up a, a, a three, high three-star, 85-grade walk-on. Yeah. You, you hit, visited in December. Yeah. Had ACC and Big Ten offers. Now, maybe he couldn't have committed and signed with those schools. We don't know. But he clearly was rated and watched by our recruiting people who felt he was good enough to give an 85. So you just don't usually see that or ever see that. I shouldn't say usually. That doesn't happen. Guys with – because he could have committed – I'm pretty sure he could have committed to a Mac school. Well, and that's from – But he chose not to. From asking around on the situation, what I was told was he wanted to play at this level – he wanted to play at the highest level. And when he was told that there wasn't a spot, his response was, I'll come and earn one. So I think you jump all over that situation, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's got special teams right away written all over it. Yeah. And, and obviously he was a kid they liked. They brought him in for an official visit. They just didn't have that, that you know, and this is a full class. My guess is he probably would have been a scholarship player. But at right, 20... he's a he's a DB more than he's a DB more than likely. And if you've yeah. got if you're, you know, if you're getting Sammy, and Bumpfist, you know, in a smaller Donald. class, yeah, and you've done the and you're starting a freshman, and Justin Harris is you know you're starting sauce. Justin Harris is going to play. Like you probably don't on a smaller class. You maybe don't need another freshman. Defensive back. Right. But, yeah, that was – I immediately, when that happened, I got hit up by you, by Brent, and by Mick almost immediately. What is this? I'm like, let's walk on. <laughs> and it, all of us, all four of us were just, like, blown away. Like, that's – to get that level of a walk-on, come on. Like, that's not – that's not real life. But – for Luke Fickle and company, it is very much real life. Nothing about the current state of UC recruiting could be called real life, <laughs> except it's actually real life. Yeah. All right, let's 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 hit the elephant in the room. We've gone with the uh, with the the Fickle and or with the Denbrock and and Freeman interviews. We've gone about 50, 45, 50 minutes already. Uh, on on signing day. So so I I assume you mean Jay Sarola leaving the basketball team. Oh yeah yeah that's uh, Jay Sarola, 
un, unannounced the in the room. Unannounced driving to Chicago, selling his car, using the money to buy a plane ticket to Spain, and just bouncing. Phenomenal. I mean, Phenomenal story. If you're gonna go, like that's a pretty baller move. Like, I, I agree. Couldn't possibly but, agree more. Uh, yeah. So there, we Mark talk, Antonio. We, there, we talked about Jay Sorolla. Yeah. So I, I'll Mark tell, Antonio resigned. I'll tell the story that I, I told on on Mo yesterday. So we're downstairs. We get done with basketball media. Um. I put my phone in my pocket, and Justin and I, Justin Williams and I, walk from the basketball media room through Fifth Third Arena, up the steps, and to our cars in the uh, Varsity Village parking garage. What, a a, a two-minute walk, would you say, Dave? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not far. Yeah. We say our goodbyes. He walks. I, I, I got lucky. I parked in the first spot directly across from Luke Fickle's SUV. Um, <clears throat> Justin didn't have as, uh, as much luck parking as I did, so he was down the down the parking garage a ways. We say our goodbyes. I get in my car, turn on the car, let it warm up for a second, pull out my phone. I have eight text messages in two minutes. One of them from you. One of them from Brent. Clearly, anytime anything happens, you and Brent are the first two messages that pop up on my phone. Um, I'm like, what in the hell is going on? I almost dropped. An I am connected. I almost dropped an F bomb. I should have there. I forget that we can do it now. And as long as we say, sorry, Dan afterwards, then it's, then it's okay. Yeah. It makes it all better. What the hell's going on? D'Antonio retired. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I leave the car running. I get out. And sure enough, when Justin got to his car, he had eight messages on his phone. All about the same thing. He gets out, and we just, like, met in the middle of the parking garage. We're looking at each other like, well, what the hell do we do now? We can't leave. We got to figure out what the hell's going on. So then we stood in the parking garage for an hour and staked out Fickle's car. But, um, so, yeah, Mark D'Antonio retires from Michigan State. As expected, the number one name off of everyone's lips is, is Luke Fickle probably including Mark D'Antonio when suggesting who he would like to take the job at Michigan State. Um, and it made for an interesting day. I, I've given my thoughts. Look, it's not <clears throat> it's not Ohio State. It's not Notre Dame. Where If those jobs offer you the job, you negotiate the terms and you leave. But... This is a job that he's going to, there's a much more likely chance he's going to listen to this than pretty much anything else that's come along, right? Like, it's in the Big Ten. Yeah, and that's sort of of the thing that I, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm at ease if he goes and I think that everything's just going to keep running at the exact same way that it's running. But none of this is surprising. Like, we knew... Eventually, whether it was in December or yesterday, which is super weird, or next December, we pretty much knew Mark D'Antonio was not long for Michigan State. And when he retired, got fired, whatever word you want to use, we all knew that the first name was going to be Luke for obvious reasons. So 
for this to happen now, all of a sudden, like, I'm just like, okay, it's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Now, obviously, like we said, we didn't think he was going to retire the day before signing day and put out a statement that says he reevaluates his his team every February. That's a weird time to say you reevaluate your team. The day before signing day. Yeah. Right. So, but in the grand scheme of it all, like, I'm not surprised. I'm not worried in that sense. Like, everything is happening the way that it it was expected to happen. And I think anyone who thinks that he would, that Luke would just either A, accept the job without real conversation and deliberation or B, shoot down the opportunity without having a conversation is being super naive and super myopic in the sense of, you know, we've talked about these handful of jobs and I'm, my thinking is kind of regardless of the timeline, like if you have a, whatever career you're in and you say, you know, I would really, no matter what the situation is that I'm currently in, if this group of opportunities came to me, no matter when I owe it to myself to have a real, you know, conversation with my family, with whoever about those jobs. And that's kind of where I come in into this is, and I could be dead wrong here. And, and, and part of it is like, I do honestly think Luke is cut a little bit differently than most head coaches. Um, maybe majority of head coaches, but let's just say the week after the conference championship game, he does come to an agreement with UC on a new contract. Realistically, we're probably talking a raise to around $3 million and maybe an assistant pool bump to the mid threes. They're, they're at two seven. The latest thing I saw in USA today, and he was projected to make 2.4 next year. So using those terms, I'm going to give you some numbers. Now, D'Antonio is obviously tenured, so I don't necessarily think this is where Luke would come in, but his most recent salary was 4.4 at Michigan state. Mm -hmm. So almost, almost a million and a half difference of what we figured Luke's raise would be. The assistant pool is over $2 million more at Michigan state. So if he had agreed to that new contract and he might've just said, no, I agreed to a new contract. I'm not, you know, I'm a man of my word. But if I, or maybe some other people had taken a job or agreed to stay at my job and with a raise, but then two months later, someone says, we value you so much. We're going to give that raise a huge bump. I mean, you, you kind of have to still take it into consideration. Or at least I think I would. I think some other people would. Some might not. They might say my word is my bond. Two months is too early. I can't, I can't do that. But we know, you know, there's a lot. I mean, I'm, I know a lot about Michigan state because my wife went there. I go to Michigan all the time. Like it's good living in East Lansing there. It's quality there. You know, it's a lot like, you know, it's not as big, but it's a lot like 
Cincinnati and the suburban suburban areas. So it's not like moving to Starkville or, you know, Fayetteville or something like that. It's similar. Um, you're obviously in the Big Ten. And people can say whatever they want. It's still the Big Ten. They're still bringing in about $40 million bucks a year from the television deal. Michigan State has been in the playoff. As much as that was weird that they were in the playoff and they got blown out by Alabama, they were in the playoff. Right. And any coach with their salt is going to think that they can bring that back. That said, Michigan State has a lot of issues that we just don't know. And I think that's what you and I have talked about is Coach D'Antonio and Luke are clearly, I mean, they're really good friends. You think they're not going to have conversations or they haven't already had conversations or they plan on having conversations? Like, those are going to happen. But what are they going to be, what is going to be said? People talk about UC's AD being brand new. Michigan State isn't hasn't been on the job that much longer. Well, and, and Michigan, Michigan first. It's, no, he's he's an interim. No, the AD he's, he's been there almost interim, two years, but he's an interim. Still, yeah. I read that today. Interim I thought the AD. president was. The okay. article I read today but, said the AD was an interim AD, and then it was. From like he's been the interim AD for like two years, so because the old AD got got taken out through all the Larry Sasser stuff, right? Um, but the president's kind of in the same boat. He's very new too. How is that conversation between Luke and Coach D'Antonio going to go? Is Coach D'Antonio going to say I wouldn't work for these guys if they paid me double? Like that's part of the reason I'm leaving. They didn't have my back in this lawsuit when I told him I didn't do anything wrong or is he going to say, you know, they were really good to work with. They, they had my back the best that they could. I understand that it, the whole thing's a difficult situation. Um, you know, they're really forward thinking guys. Like I just felt like this was the time for me to go. And I think you'd be a great person to kind of not carry on my legacy, but you know, bring the program back to where I had it when it was really going, you know, four or five years ago. Those are huge conversations that no one knows, and they're certainly not going to have happened already. Like, that's the most ridiculous stuff I've read is, oh, he's already agreed or this, that, or that. People that are saying that know absolutely nothing about Luke. Um, but, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I think, I imagine it, they're going to offer him the job. Um, I imagine it's not really about money to him um, because the way I look at it, and I think he's a forward thinker, if your goal, ultimately, I think anybody can, can piece this together. His probably ultimate goal is to coach at Ohio State or coach at Notre Dame. And if your ultimate goal is one of those schools, there's a halfway decent chance <clears throat> based on the carousel this year and what sh- is projected to be next year, that one of those jobs is going to open up and I'll even throw Penn state in there. And I'll say there's a better than 50% chance that two of those three jobs are going to open up next year. Are you going to Michigan state with the rebuild roster that they need to undertake? I mean, UC's recruiting class is better than theirs this year. I mean, there's no two ways about that. So you know how bad 
their roster is. Is that the move you want to make if you look at the situation that you see and say, we're killing it, we're going to have another, you know, in all likelihood, double-digit win season, and who knows what opens up next year? Or maybe we, you know, who knows? Who knows what happens in general, in life, in conference realignment, in what if Tom Herman stinks and Texas opens and they want Luke or they want someone that they want Ryan Day and they're willing to pay and then all of a sudden Ohio State opens. I mean, there's just so many, so many what ifs that part of me goes, is this the, oh, is this the move I want to make right now? But the other part of me says, you know, this is one of those jobs that I have pinpointed as something that I would take a long look at. And this offer is really good. And I think with these boosted, we'll call them amenities, then I can, you know, get back to where things were when Coach D had it going. And I'm not worried about having to play Ohio State Michigan and Penn State every year because I think I can can beat those schools and we don't know I mean Ohio State's pretty much a machine but if James Franklin say goes to USC we don't know necessarily that Penn State's going to stay on the level that they're at so what if Michigan and Michigan State could very easily jump right back into that second spot and second place in the Big Ten is getting you in the conversation of the playoff. Right. And, and that's something that no matter what UC does right now, they're not, it's never going to happen. This is not, I mean, and if that's, if that's what you want to have the opportunity to do, I wouldn't blame anybody for pursuing that. Nor would I, I do think what's interesting here is the timing. Because I think if this job came open in December, we're having a totally different conversation. 100%. But that it comes open in in February, the day before signing day, the day before Luke Fickle slams the door on greatest class in UC football history. He didn't just tiptoe into the greatest class in UC football history. He kicked open the door ripped it off the hinges and tossed it at someone. I, I mean, everybody, everybody can say they don't care what other people think about them, but he does not strike me that way. And to, this is the first class that he, that they've really had like that true developmental relationship full out right. timeline with. And to come off of an 11-win season, to sign this class, and then let's just say Friday. Two days after signing day, go, sorry, dudes, I'm out. Right. <clears throat> like, I know the business is cutthroat, and I don't necessarily blame anybody. I mean, I am the ultimate get yours when you can get yours guy. It's not personal. It is, I want everybody to succeed. You can't go through some of the stuff I've been through from an employment standpoint and have any ill will towards anybody. I want everybody to get theirs. But some people, I just don't know if they operate that way. And I just, I don't know if he can, whether it's look himself in the mirror or have that hanging over his head. Like I told those guys 
we got unfinished business, and then three days later, I left. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how big of a pull this handful of jobs is. I think if it was Notre Dame or Ohio State, like we said, like you don't even. You're like, you want me to coach? Okay, we'll worry about the details later. But I don't know if, given all of kind of like the ancillary ancillary stuff going on at Michigan State, I don't know if this is that that opportunity, that time. Right. And like you said, in December, it probably would have been. Like, well, it's it's much cleaner. You, here's, you know, here's a great point. I, Rocky Boyman made this point today. And I hadn't really thought of it in this light until um, I was on with, with Eddie and Rocky. No no flex there. You know, just, just your casual, you know. <laughs> um, but Rocky said, Signing day is done now. Luke Fickle will have, if he takes the Michigan State job, like Luke Fickle will have zero opportunity outside of the transfer market, but in terms of long-term building that team, he will have zero opportunity to build that team in any remote portion of his image until December of next year. Right. And we we talk, look at this senior class, and Mike Warren, Mike Warren, Kobe Bryant, Derek Forrest. He kept um, Desmond Ritter. Those guys that he brought in when he first got here have been a big part of turning this thing around. Jarrell White. Guys that he got committed when he took the job in December. If he took the job at Michigan State in December, he would have had a chance to immediately impact that roster. You know who they would have added? They would have probably added Jaden Thompson. They would have probably added Chris Scott. <laughs> they would have probably yeah. added Marquez Bell. Like, he would have had a chance to go in there and make a, a drastic impact on that roster right away. But with this thing opening up now, that opportunity is is long gone. And I think that I didn't think of it in those light in that light. But you know, and and I I can't divulge the source here, but there there are some rumblings from the Michigan State media types. I think mainly their their rivals guy saying that Fickle is 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 coming. And I texted someone close to the situation. Said, people are jumping to conclusions. Nothing happening yet. Now, take that how you will. Does it mean something might happen in the future? Maybe. But in terms of something happening like right now, I, I don't think that's the case. We don't. They just don't, I mean, they don't know how he operates. Like, someone is probably telling them, oh, yeah, he's coming. Just on a whim. Right. Well, what you also get in these situations is people that are trying to beat the news cycle and be first. Without, you know, and that, that's what drives me nuts about the media anymore, and I, I don't want to do this without without going on a rant. Um. The problem is there's no punishment for when you when you get that wrong. There's no 
There's no blowback. You just say, ah, my source got it wrong. Sorry. But, I mean, that, you know, between now and whenever a decision is made by Luke Fickle, there's going to be a ton of, of rumors and, and people trying to to jump the news cycle, people trying to, you know, be right when there there's nothing to be right about, per se. So Well, and we, we spend... We spend more time trying to chase down bad information because, right? You know, every anytime something comes out, we as much as we might not believe it, we still have to vet it because there is that chance that it could that it could be true. Correct. So, you know, nine times out of ten, it's not. But we don't want to just brush something off. And then look silly when, you know, people are like, why didn't you have that info? Like these seven people are now saying that you haven't said anything. Right. That's actually what I spend most of my day doing is chasing down in situations like these. I spend most of my day chasing down bad information. I don't know. I'm not saying yep. that it's bad information. I'm just saying that's it's what I spend most of my day doing. Is is no? It's not that people are intentionally. Put, it's not that people are intentionally putting out false information, but it turns out to not be true. But we still have to try to find out the validity of it. Right. And that also, and I and I do appreciate. There's a lot of people on the message board. Uh, of late saying they don't they're not believing anything until it, it comes from me until it comes from us i appreciate that because we've worked really hard for that for a long time to get to that point and that's how i get invited on 700 and how i get invited on 1530 how i've gotten to the point now where i'm hosting shows it is because one we've worked really hard and two we've proven it to our audience that the information we provide is going to be on point. So thank you to you guys for that. You got anything else on Ficklegate? I don't think so. I think I think it there will be some sort of decision pretty quickly. I think by Friday we um, know at least at the at the latest I think by Friday we know his intentions. Just because, I mean, everything, you know, it's it's pretty cut and dry. Like, we we know he's, I can't imagine that he's not their number one choice. So either they offer him a package that he finds, you know, worthy, or they don't. Like, him not having a contract extension with UC right now doesn't mean anything to me. No, because if he had, the only thing it means is there would be a little bit more penalty in the buyout. Sure. So it, that's it. Yeah, you know, we'll just we'll just have to see. I'm They're not true. going to make any prediction because I have no damn idea. Right. Well, it, it, I, there's no prediction to be made because he hasn't made a decision. Like. There's, I mean, you can just stay off your gut what you right. think is going to happen, but I mean that's a, that's just a, a coin flip. Uh, I think he's going to stay. Uh, I think he's going to go. 
I, I don't know. Right. I think there are pluses and minuses. If I'm in his shoes, trying to think the way he might be thinking, I think there are, I don't think it's as cut and dry as some want to paint it that, Oh my God, it's a big 10 team. And his, one of his best friends was the coach. It's so obvious that he's going to take it. Um, it's not that, but there are pluses and minuses, and it's just a matter of which ones he values more and what, how that aligns with each job. All right, now well, we're only about an hour and 15 minutes in. Let's talk a little basketball. We're clearly going, you know, maybe as long as we've ever gone tonight, so let's keep it rolling. Oh, no. We've, we, went over, we went almost two hours. Was that earlier the this year? I yeah, it's like one thirty. I was, I was pushing two. I think. <laughs> Whatever. Free content. Enjoy it. Once again, don't forget. Join me at the Holy Grail Banks tomorrow night, seven o'clock. Bearcats take on Wichita State. Should be a very good one. A chance for a big time. Quality one road win. Something that their resume is missing and is very needed. So, let's get into it. Obviously, going to be down a man. No Jay Sarola. I am assuming he has landed in, I mean, in Spain by now. I assume. May, I may as well cancel the season. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. But um, this team is playing well. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to go ahead and get that signature road win, that signature quality one road win that this, this schedule needs. I think Wichita State is good, but I think there are some limitations there with them. And I think if they play especially well, offensively. yeah, especially offensively, it's going to be a, a, a fist fight. It's going to be another battle. I like that, you know, you've got, you've had five, four or five days to recover from the Houston game. And, but, but you are going in against a Wichita state team that had, had just got beat by the, at the buzzer by Tulsa. They're going to come out aggressive. They're going to come out looking to make this thing a rock fight. And Cincinnati's got to find a way offensively and defensively to keep things and keep their emotions, keep the game in check, take that initial surge from Wichita State, and then try to control the game in the second half. Um, I think this is a winnable game, Dave. I think it's much more winnable than at Houston, personally. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't think there's any any argument there. Um, you know, I I don't want to. I'm not going to take anything away from the Houston game, but like, I just I still don't know. They're playing so much better, but it's like, have you? And I was trying to think of this. Usually, you you can see it with shooting, because obviously you can start a game red hot and cool off, or vice versa. Have you ever seen a game where the team? plays such bad defense for 30 minutes roughly and then just plays 
insanely good defense for 10? Well, I don't think – really, I honestly don't think that they played that bad a defense for the first 30 minutes. I think it was just that Marcus Sasser wasn't exactly the guy at the top of the scouting report. And hats off to No, him. I thought there was some stuff – there, there was some stuff in the first half that was pretty bad. There were a couple issues. I agree. But ultimately, I I, I still think they, they got Houston to do what they wanted them to do. Houston just ended up being very good at, at, at what UC forced them out of. Because, I mean, if you look at it, Fabian White didn't do much. Dejan Giroux didn't do much. Um, Caleb Mills was was not very good. You know, there, there's a, a there's pretty glaring statistical evidence that the main guys for Houston were taken out of their game plan. It's just that the other guys for Houston stepped up. Three for nineteen, not good. Generally, no. And then you know that's tough for me because I'm a big Caleb Mills guy. I mean, I'm really saying this because, like, even with the way they played Houston, the second half of the second half, basically, they're still 23rd nationally in offensive efficiency. So, like, for them to go, even, like, even if you play a lot better defense, like, you should still be good. Like, they're still good enough offensively to kind of withstand that. So, to to have a 13-minute run of that of that type of play was just astonishing given how combo of well they were playing in the first half and some issues that UC was having defensively. It's not like it's not like they were temple and just made everything for right. thirty minutes and no, then didn't you. make another shot. I mean, they're an awesome offensive team even with that terrible thirteen minutes. And so that's where I was like like I was ready to come on I'm sitting there at the game going, I'm going to crush this on the podcast because like they're just letting them do whatever they want to do. And, yeah, Marcus Nasser made some shots, and Nate Hinton made shots in the first half. But, like, Nate Hinton's worn out the corners of Fifth Third Arena. Like, that's where he makes all of his shots from. Right. He did it last year on Tuesday, and he did it again in the first half. So, I'm like, I'm like what is going on? And then, because I even remember saying to myself around that 13-minute mark, I was like, I'll give him till seven till the under-eight timeout. And then, because I was by myself, you know, I was like, I'm at, you know, I'm not going to watch them lose by 20. They were down 15 at that point. And just like that, just total flip of the switch. And the, the, and the, the one <laughs> excellent defense, you only get to where they did making a team go one of 15 down the stretch by excellent defense. Two, unbelievable defensive rebounding on the number one rebounding team in the country to completely shut them off of the offensive glass for that stretch. Cause it was one and done the final 12 minutes. Right. I mean, they had, I think I tweeted it out at halftime. They had eight offensive rebounds in the first half and SMU had eight offensive rebounds the whole game on 40 misses. So, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, to to come back and win that game, it was only going to be by defense because you gave up 40 in the first half. And to, you know, for the longest time it was 19, they got, you know, a couple points there at the end. But to give up 22 points in the second half, 
and to just win by two, you know, that was what it was going to be. And it took that 13 minute, you know, that whole deal to get it done. But that was what, I mean, it shows a lot about everybody involved to be, to be able to get it done, to not go at halftime. Well, hell, Marcus Sasser, like, he's like ninth on the scouting report and he hasn't missed. I guess this isn't our night. Like they never, that mentality didn't seem to ever creep into anybody's thinking and sure they missed some easy shots, but they also forced a lot of careless turnovers and converted on them. And Jaron had one of the best passes I've ever seen. And I don't think anybody's talked about it enough besides like me and you on Twitter. Um, And it just kind of all fell together because it wasn't even going to be the missed free throws. Like the missed free throws didn't matter if they gave up another 30 points. Right. It was the only way they were winning that game was to play unbelievable defense and, you know, get some luck. There's always luck involved when a team makes one basket in 13 minutes, but you don't say (laughs) it's yeah. So I, you know, all the credit to, Whatever they did, I have no idea, but, it, it, you know, it, it clearly worked. That it did. That was a fun atmosphere. That place got loud down the oh, stretch. It was awesome because it's, it's something that, you know, we take it for granted, I think, is how many times can you count in a big game UC's, like, been trailing by a pretty good amount and had to come back like that? Right. Usually in big games, they're either like senior day last year, it was close, and then Houston just stepped on the gas. Or more times than not, at home, in a big game, UC just blows the doors off the other team. Right. So you don't have that like crescendo of, oh, my God, we're down 15. Oh, now it's 13. Oh, my God, now it's 7. Oh, my God, it's 3. Like, you know, there's not that, that building of the run that that keeps the crowd just so jazzed and every play is like, you know, one on top of the other. I think that's the cool thing that, you know, we take that, you know, they're 71 and four at home in their last 75 games. You're not going to have that many experiences like what you had Saturday night. I don't remember many. The last time I remember, yeah, the last time I remember it really being that loud was actually in a loss. Can you guess? At home? Yeah. I mean, probably not. I mean, shit, there's only been four of them. Sorry, Dan. Not for many years. Um, this goes back I don't know. to the, well, the what, little, are you, what are your things? The last time I Probably re- the Louisville game. Yep. The Russ Smith shot. The Louisville game with the, with the weird call at the end of the game. Who was the ball off of? Yep. And, and, um, the Butler game was really loud too when yeah. Buddy took what, but not I mean not like that not like this because that was just a, those were both kind of back and forth games. This one was that one where you looked like you're out of it and frankly you looked like your season might be over. I mean let's be honest, if they lose that game like we talked about last week, if they lose that game to Houston and go on the road and lose to Wichita, you're probably relying on winning the conference tournament to make the tournament. So not only were you down 15, you're looking at possibly like 
you know, I don't want to be too dramatic, but like the season's over where we don't have enough chances left to get good wins, you know, to offset any more losses that we have the rest of the way because we still have a third of the season left. <laughs> right. Wichita State, any thoughts? Uh, obviously, they've they've got a couple guys that can shoot, but they've been wildly inconsistent. I mean, just recently, offensively, they've, they haven't they have scored more than 56 in four of their last five. They've got two games in that stretch where they shot 30%. The most, the best shooting, and this was a, the best, was 37% in a, you know, in a win. So, if you see can not have... You know, I don't think you're going to expect on the road to play a defensive game like you played in the last, you know, half of the second half of the Houston game. But it's got to be somewhat more connected and better than the first half. I mean, I know everybody, I, I put some stuff on Twitter and they're like, oh, they're going to come out and shoot, you know, 80%. And I know that's the, the just kind of the go-to thing. And I'm sitting there going, or maybe they just think it's shooting. <laughs> yeah like you don't always have to resort to the well they're do thing or maybe they just think it's shooting and if you play pretty good defense you give yourself a chance now they're probably going to play pretty good defense too i think they're like seventh in the country yeah they're very good adjusted defense very but good defensively for sure we still you know and with the way that jaron's playing i'm I'm not. I don't know if they're going to win. I know we're going to make a prediction. I think my hatred of Greg Marshall and just being three and zero at Wichita since they joined the league. I'm going to pick UC to win just because it's fun to hopefully send off a snarky tweet after they win again. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't think that they can't win. Like you can't be that bad shooting team and and not think that you can go in there and get one even though it's on the road. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I just I just think the door is open on this one, right? I, I don't oh, think – I don't think they're – I, I think it's – definitely open. I think when you look at them, this is a Wichita State team that's that's not playing at its, at its peak. I thought it was playing much better in November and December. And this is a Cincinnati team that's playing well. So I think that yeah, I mean, gives us a situation where I, I think Cincinnati's got very much a shot. And when you really when you really dig in to them a little bit more, I mean they're seventeen and four, but they're they're two none or they're one non-conference loss was to the was to West Virginia who is likely the only team they played in the non-conference is going to make the tournament. Right. And then they've, they've now lost three out of five. Two of those on the road. Home loss to Houston. You know, and the two wins in that stretch are arguably the two worst teams in the conference. South Florida and Central Florida. Right. So, you know, you kind of look at where they are since the middle of January. You know, 
it's it's definitely there. I mean, you know, when we kind of talked about that five game run a few weeks ago, this wasn't who they were at that time. So, you know, it's just it's definitely a game that they can go in and win. I don't know if they will, but it's not. It's certainly not out of the question. Right. Uh, what are you going to predict? What, what What's the, the Dave prediction? Uh, we're going to win. I think I'm just going to keep picking us to win until we don't. Um, I, something like 65, 61. Okay. I, I think I'm going a, a little bit lower scoring. I was 61-59 Cincinnati wins. It's my take. All right, we have gone excessively long. And our message board I don't is, think is, anyone will complain. No. I, I've got to get back to the message board. They are having an absolute panic attack right now. Because Why? I, what is I, going on? I guess the Michigan State rivals guy said that it's a, he's hearing from his source that told him D'Antonio was retiring that Luke is a done deal. Oh, my God. So that is spread across the Michigan State message boards, and it is it has caused a panic attack. <laughs> um, so if you're listening to this and you're wondering why I wasn't posting on the message board, it's because I was recording this podcast. Sorry. Sheesh. Yeah, Chad, why aren't you, like, posting stuff all, all the time? I, I've been texting for 45 minutes while we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> With the best possible sources on the planet. I've been contacting them while we have been recording. There's that when we were talking about Luke Fickle going to Michigan State, you had like a, a, a like an eight or ten minute conversation with yourself. I didn't listen to any of it. <laughs> I was texting the entire time. Calm down, people. Relax. I'm on it. I promise. I promise. I'm on it. There's something. Get a, in the, get a vape pen or something. Get some CBD oil. Like. <laughs> Xanax Percocet Something Anyhow I don't condone drug use Unless you need it <laughs> Some of you need it But anyway That's the end We're done Thanks to Marcus Freeman Thanks to Mike Denbrock Thanks to Dave Simone We'll see you at the Holy Grail tomorrow night I'm Chad Brendel it's the BCJ Podcast, presented by the Holy Grail, brought to you exclusively on BearcatJournal.com.